Welcome to the She Connects podcast. My name is Susan Vandenhubel, and I am honored to be your host each and every week. This is an extension of my ministry, She Rises, that allows me to connect with women in the online space. You can learn more about me and my ministry at www.sherisesmn.org or simply tap the link in the show notes. But for now, let's dive into this week's episode. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I hope that you're having a fantastic week. And I feel like I've said this the last few weeks, but (laughs) when you live in Minnesota, you are just so excited about sunshine and green grass. And so I am all about it. This summer girl is loving it and having my windows open. So wherever you are in the world, I hope that it's been sunshiny in your corner of the world. If you've been listening to the podcast for the last few weeks, you know that I've been talking about various things that women experience in particular as you're stepping into ministry or even just choosing to go all in in your faith and you're going to live your life according to the biblical values that you believe in and the things that you see when you open your Bible. Things like you won't always feel supported, you might not always feel encouraged, and you'll, you know, maybe feel fearful or you'll maybe experience being misunderstood, different, just different types of things like that. And so I decided that today's guest is going to really uh, begin to kind of tie all of those episodes together. And um, we're going to have a great conversation specifically geared for women who are either stepping into something new, ministry related, or you are someone who is deciding, you know what? I am going to go all in on my faith and I'm just going to believe that God has placed something on the inside of me and it's for a reason, it's for a purpose. And so you are going to love this conversation and it is our heart. We prayed before before we started recording, we were praying for you specifically, that you would feel seen and heard and a little less alone, and uh, just really maybe even understood and championed forward in the things that God has called you to. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Rachel. Rachel, tell us a little bit about you and where you're joining us from. So I am from Michigan, experiencing some of the same that you in Minnesota, not quite as harshly, But I I just saw, it was funny because I saw a video about Minnesota the other day of a weatherman going, it's the end of April, it's cold, May will be cold, June will be cold, July will be whatever hot, and then it's back to cold. So I get that. I get that. But I'm from Northern Michigan, uh, married for almost 18 years, three kids, and I became a Christian at the age of 16. My husband did as well. We were both invited to a youth group as teenagers. So we are both first generational Christians. We did not grow up in a Christian home. And now as parents, we're learning what is that like to raise kids in a Christian home? Because we never had that example. So we feel that our kids are almost guinea pigs as, as it means to raise kids in a Christian home. But yep, we gave our hearts to the Lord and you know, we just, we never turned back. There was never a falling away point. There was never a, a backslide. It was oh, this is the truth now. Okay. Now that I know it, I can't walk away. And so we've just been pushing for that ever since. Wow. So I just have to, before we get into our conversation today, so you would say that you're a first generation Christian then? Right. Right. Wow. Both my yeah. husband and I. Yeah. Um, so I am as well. And oh, okay. And so, you know, just, you know, talking about, okay, so this is what it looks like to be a person of faith. And, and really mm-hmm. what I'm hearing is there was a, there was a, like a mile marker moment for you and your husband where you decided this is who we're going to be. And we're going to go right. all in, in our faith. I yeah. love that. Wow. Well, and then for us, I, I know, especially for me, you know, I, again, because I didn't grow up in the church, I didn't know all the terms. I didn't know the Christianese and I was invited to a service and I had never seen worship before. never saw a prophetic word before. So all of these things are so new and freaking me out, but I was still drawn to it. And I decided that without invitation, I was just going to go back to church the next Sunday and teen challenge was there doing a presentation and all of these people are speaking about how God had set them free from drugs and alcohol. And at the end of the message, the pastor says, well, who would like to accept Christ in their heart? And I thought, well, who wouldn't? I thought it was 
was a hypothetical question. So I rose my hand and then I looked around and nobody else is raising their hand, but it was too late because the pastor saw me <laughs> and called me up to say this sinner's prayer. And so I tell people I got saved by accident because I had no idea what I was doing. But at that moment, I knew my life was different and I knew that, that I had to change. Wow. What a powerful story. Oh, I always love hearing people's story and how they, how they came to faith in Christ. And, and I mean, just looking at you, I just see this joy about you. And so it's so evident that that was the best decision that you've ever made and that he has just really changed the entire trajectory of your life. Oh, what a powerful testimony. Well, I'm really, uh, I'm going to transition here and begin talking about the topic of our conversation, you know, kind of going back to what I shared in the onset of our time together. But I think that we need to really begin having the conversation by looking at Jesus's earthly ministry, uh, Mm -hmm. looking at the Bible and specifically how you see as you look at how he did his earthly ministry and, and just modeled in this affirming and including women how do you see him doing that? Are there specific examples that you can think of? Oh, yes. I mean, there are the obvious, you know, you have the the Joannas and the Susannas, the disciples, you have the Mary Magdalene. We all, especially as women in ministry, one of our favorite stories is that Mary Magdalene was the very first to see Jesus alive. And he said, go and tell. And that's how we know that God has called us as women to go and tell people about the gospel. And oftentimes you'll hear about the woman at the well that that Jesus approached, not just a woman, but a Samaritan woman and how scandalous that was. But I think my favorite story of Jesus, including women and affirming women, and we often share the story about these two women. And I don't think we necessarily share it correctly. And it's the story of Mary and Martha. And we always talk about Mary and Martha as Uh, hey, you need to rest like Mary. You need to be with Jesus like Mary. And Martha always gets a bad rap because you got to remember, Martha was the one that invited Jesus to the house. It was her that said, let me be the host. And when you look at how the world was set up, how culture was set up back then, how women were not, you know, they were just those second class citizens. And the fact that Mary is sitting at Jesus's feet, who is not her father, is not her brother, not her husband, no family relation whatsoever. I think that's where Martha is getting her rub. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're not supposed to be sitting at a man's feet learning. That's for the feet of your husband or your father or whomever. And Jesus is saying, no, she can sit and she can learn at my feet. So when we talk about that story, I'm not necessarily saying that we're taking it out of context or it's bad to say we need to rest like Mary. But I think the point of that story is that Jesus is affirming Mary, allowing her to be educated. Women weren't educated. But here he is, someone who is not the father, not the husband, not the brother, and is educating this woman. To me, that is probably one of the most powerful stories with Jesus in scripture. Rachel, that is so powerful. I mean, I feel like we could do just a whole separate episode (laughs) just on that. I mean, that is exactly, I think, what what we need to do, not only with just being a woman in ministry, but really studying scripture as a whole is taking Mm -hmm. the time to sit and unpack this and really understand what is, what is happening here and why is this so significant? Because if it's included in the word, it's in there for a reason. And I think plummeting the depths of, of what is taking place here is so it's just so life-changing in our faith. And so I love that you, that you unpacked that in such a beautiful and rich way. And I I think that, you know, even Martha, you know, tradition says that she was the older of the two. Mm -hmm. And of course there was Lazarus too. So the three of them, but the older of the two and, and that it was, it was, probably her home that they were that they were dining at and so even just that sense of responsibility and and hospitality gift in her um, oh I just love that I 
I don't know. I may have to have you back on the show just to dive into that even more because I think that that is so powerful. And so when we when we think about being, um, you know, just a woman in ministry or just being a woman all in in her faith and you know just really taking a stand, lifting her voice in in matters of faith. Do you feel like there are specific things that women in particular experience? And again, I I want to preface this conversation and maybe I should have started off with this that we're not here to, you know, say that we're a feminist movement here, (laughs) that we're, you know, like we're throwing men under the bus because I am not doing that. I I really do believe that the same invitation has been extended to both men and women. And I don't believe that that the future is is women. I don't believe right. that the future is men. I believe yes. that it's men and women co-laboring together, together yes. um, linking arms and advancing the gospel together. So um, just to get that out of the way, but is, do you do you feel like there are specific things that are kind of significant to women experiencing things in ministry? You know, honestly, what you just said right there, uh, I think there's a a lot of misconception about women in ministry that we are looking to be this feminist movement and take over when deep down in our hearts, that is not what we want at all. We know that we are better together, that the church needs that father voice, but the church also needs that mother voice and we are to come together. I think that is one of the biggest uh, hurdles that we have to overcome. And And when I say overcome, we don't have to prove that, but I think that is a common misconception with women in ministry, hands down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I know this is my 21st year of ministry and I've been, those things have been said, you know, that, that, you know, just being the founder of She Rises and that it's a feminist Mm -hmm. movement and, you know, and I'm just so when I hear the mantra, I am woman, hear me roar. It just kind of makes me like, I don't like that. I hate that. <laughs> I am not all about that. And I'm not yes. all about like, you know, the girl boss thing. And I'm just not all about that. I just, I feel like I know that finally I'm in a place of, of just this holy confidence in who I mm-hmm. am in Christ and that I know that he has given me a voice and mm-hmm. he has placed gifts on the inside of me and not just me, but you and all of the women who, who are listening. And so I know that you, you've been a woman in ministry. Tell us um, how long you've been in ministry. So I would say probably roughly 15 years. I felt God call me to ministry when I was 19. I was on a completely different path. I wanted to be a movie star. I mean, even though I had just gotten saved a couple years earlier in my path, I I was accepted to a college in Chicago. That's where I was going to do it. And my senior year, I didn't realize because I was so new to the faith. I didn't realize this was the voice of the Lord, but I knew where I was going wasn't right. And I didn't know why. So I took a semester off of uh, just trying to figure out, okay, God, what is it that you need from me? And I just completely removed myself from my church family, from my regular family. I moved away for a while, really seeking the Lord. And that's when I felt God had called me to pastoral ministry. And I didn't know what kind of ministry until I was about 21. And I I was on a missions trip in Indonesia of all places. And if you've ever been to Asia, you know, those people worship for hours and I'm standing there going, I have to sit down. And I finally sit down and God doesn't speak to me this way often, very few times, but he gave me a vision and it was of me standing in front of a crowd. I know exactly what I was wearing. I had a microphone in my hand. And at that moment, I knew that God had called me to speaking ministry, that God was asking me to preach. And I really didn't become a pastor until my late 20s. I got married. I started having babies. And then I started doing pastoral ministry, which then moved into radio broadcasting. I've been doing broadcasting ministry for the past couple of years. And now I travel and speak. I travel the country and mostly around the state uh, is speaking, whether it's at women's conferences or Sunday morning fill-ins. But that's kind of the evolution of my ministry, as you would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So over those years of filling different roles of ministry, have you experienced some of these things that we're talking about being a, a female in ministry, speaking, preaching, you know, these different things? 
yeah, so there's a lot. I think there's a lot of difficulties. There's obviously difficulties no matter what sex you are, but obviously men are going to have difficulties that pertain to them. And then we're going to have difficulties that pertain to us. This sounds so superficial, but one of the biggest things I see is clothes. <laughs> like I have gotten more comments on my clothes than anything else that I was overdressed or I wasn't dressed enough or my earrings. I can't wear my earrings because they clang against the lapel mic or whatever. Your, your leggings were too tight. I mean, so many things. And I'm not saying men don't get comments on their clothes, but I feel is almost, it's, it's more for women <laughs> than men. Uh, and then of course there's the pushback where people don't agree with what you're doing. I feel very fortunate where I'm at in Northern Michigan I see where there's less representation of the gospel, the more people are open to women in ministry. Where there's a flood of the gospel constantly, I mean, you're driving down the road and there's billboards about Jesus. I feel that those areas are less open to women in ministry. So I've been very fortunate, even though it's a little bit harder to present the gospel where I am, people are more open to me. And I have never had someone come to me and say, you can't because, and then they take a specific scripture out of context. But I've had the, I don't agree with what you're doing. Okay. And that is an awkward conversation. You know, that is a little awkward when someone comes to you and say, I, I just don't agree with women in ministry. And you just have to go, okay, because I don't, and, and maybe this is just my over-optimism. My, my blood type is be positive, but I don't believe that it's misogyny. I don't believe that people just want to discriminate against me because I'm a woman. I just think they are interpreting the scripture the way they think it is, and they don't want to sin. I, I honestly think that's what it is. They don't have anything against me as a woman, but they look at the scripture and they're interpreting it in a certain way. And so they just want to make sure that, you know, we're living pure, holy lives. So those are, a, you know, a couple of the things that I would say, but I think the biggest thing that women face in ministry, and I don't think we talk about this enough, is that question of, is there a place at the table for me? Because to see another woman in ministry, and this is me getting vulnerable a second, to see another woman in ministry, you see it as competition. Yeah, You don't want to see it as competition. That's not your heart. But because you feel there's only so many places at the table for a female you wonder, is there a place for me? Yeah, that's so good. Okay. So I want to sit in that for, for just a few minutes, because I mm -hmm. feel like that is, and I agree with you, it's not something that's talked about in a great deal. And so let's kind of sit there for a minute, Okay, because we've all felt that in mm -hmm. some way or another, you know, not being included, not feeling a part of almost feeling like we kind of have to elbow our way in there. Right. And so when you have experienced that yourself, kind of, you know, walk us through how you process that, how you handle that, how it has, you know, stretched your faith and even just the belief that you do have something to offer. Because I think that sometimes, and if I'm going to be honest, when I have experienced that, some of that is well, maybe I'm not good enough, or maybe mm -hmm. what God has called me to isn't as good as what they're doing, or mm -hmm. I need to somehow be a little bit more perfect, or I need to be a little bit more, you know, all of these different things, just a whole list of, of, of different things that, you know, we kind of get stuck in, in a narrative in our mind. And then pretty soon, and I've seen this happen, where then mm -hmm. women just, you know, like, just kind of, throw it all away and we just walk away. It's because it's, yeah. it's maybe something for some women that they bump up against continually. Mm -hmm. And so it just right. really kind of reinforces that narrative. So tell us a little bit more about your experience that way. Oh, I would love to say that I handled it fabulous. I would love to say that and then give you the five point step-by-step -step on how you can handle that. But I think in the beginning of ministry, I didn't recognize that what was happening was jealousy. I don't think I recognized that what was happening was comparison. I would just have those nasty feelings, that ugliness that would come up. And even when you try to have those conversations and say, hey, I'm sorry, but 
this is my ugliness is coming out. I'm struggling with comparison or I'm struggling with this with you. Even that isn't taken well with other people that I've come across in ministry. Now that I'm older, now that I've been in ministry for 15, 20 years, I recognize when that's coming. I know now that's one of the benefits of getting older, right? I I just turned 40 last year. So I'm kind of struggling with that. Oh, now I'm on the back 40, but there is a benefit and that is, okay, I've become wiser and I have that experience. So I can feel that rising up in me and I have to just sit back and reflect and go, God's table is ginormous. If God has the whole world in his hands, think about how big his table is. And I have to sit back and say, God, I trust you enough. And that is where I feel a lot of women struggle in ministry because they're trying to prove themselves. Well, I'm a female. God has called me. I can do this. No man's going to stand in my way. And I'm just going to prove that I can do it. Listen, you don't have to. God's already done that. I always say, and I know this is a controversial line, and I'm going to say it anyway, there is no glass ceiling. When we talk about how women, there's this glass ceiling that you just have to push through and break because of the barriers of womanhood. Nope. The glass ceiling was broken the day the veil was torn. The day Jesus died on the cross, that earthquake happened, the veil was torn. It opened up God's presence. It filled that gap between heaven and earth. And we get to experience Jesus's dignity, his love, his affirmation. We don't have to prove anything. God has done that. And so if I am coming up with jealousy and I'm coming up with comparison, I reflect and I say, God, do I trust you enough that you're going to open the door for me? Do I trust you enough that, yes, there is a a seat, an empty seat that needs the giftings, the talents, the passions that you've put inside of me to be at that table? Do I trust you enough you're going to place me there? And that's kind of what I've had to work through. Uh, the past 15 years. Yeah. Oh, that, that whole trap of feeling like I have to prove myself and push myself, you know, push my way through. And I feel like you're reading parts of my own story. I too have, have just struggled with that and had to wrestle that out in my faith. And I think that you make a really great point that, you know, as you, as you log more miles, log more spiritually Mm. speaking, log more years in, Mm you know, continually saying that, yes, giving the Lord that obedient, yes, and following him, you do become more like grounded in, in who you are and like Mm -hmm. that identity piece, you know? Uh, And so when, when you think about just that comparison and, and that jealousy and, and maybe feeling like there's a lack of inclusion at that table, kind of tell us a little bit about what you, what you think is just, kind of precipitating that? Why Why is that so common among women, would you say? I think because there are still so many people that either don't agree with women in ministry or they're so set on having male leadership, which I understand. Like we do have a lack of male leadership. I get that. So when you have an organization that is looking for more male leadership, it, it feels as though they're going to choose the male leadership over the female leadership. And if they do choose female leadership, there's often that idea of, well, am I just the token female then? Am I just here to prove that this church has diversity or to prove that we affirm women in ministry? And I know for me personally, I never want a job just because I'm female. Now there are different seasons or there are different situations where you do need a female, but I think that's really where it stems from. We want male leadership, which I totally understand, but then that closes the gap of how many women can serve. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? Yeah, totally. And would you agree that because the opportunities for women aren't as many Mm -hmm. as our male colleagues, so when a woman does finally get that invitation to sit at the table, you know, sometimes she feels like, I had to wait a long time to get yeah. at this table. And so right. you almost feel like, like sometimes they can feel a little bit at a lack of better words, threatened by maybe having another woman at the table because, yes. because yes. I like, 
I worked really hard or I had to, I did all the things and I checked all the boxes Mm -hmm. and I waited a really long time to have this seat. And so, you know, like that. So what are your thoughts about that? Oh, hands down, because I've felt it myself. And I'll be honest, I like being the only female in the room. I don't know what it is. I think it's just a part of my personality. Growing up, I always had male friends. I always was the only girl in the the group of guys. And that was just fun for me. So then to be on staff and I'm the only female pastor, I loved that. Not every woman loves that. They embrace another woman. They're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Another female that I can hang out with, that I can talk to and converse about what is going on. But for me, I liked my, my little bubble and you, you hit the nail on the head. There's that thought of, I've worked so hard to be here. Did you work as hard as I did to get into this spot? And I hate to say this because I don't ever want to pull the female card, the feminist card, but I do feel, and I look at this as an advantage that I've had to work harder than some men to get where I'm at. But at the same time, that is an advantage. Because I know that whatever message I give, I know whatever uh, leadership thing that I've developed, I know that it's 150%. And I can say that I am proud of that. But if another woman shows up, I'm like, did you do that as well? <laughs> you know, did, did you work as hard as I did? So I think exactly what you said, hands down. Yeah. And then enters then that comparison piece, mm-hmm. too, you know. Um, right. Kinda... Well, we see their giftings. Right. We see how they're gifted. Well, if I could just preach the way they do, or if I could, um, I don't know, if I could lead a small group the way they do, if if I could just be more calm the way they are. And that is where I've had to sit back and go, okay, Lord, how did you uniquely create me? Because oftentimes God will put you in a place of ministry that you don't fit. I was a children's pastor for almost 10 years. I am not gifted with kids. I always said, I will do any ministry, but children's ministry. And God said, oh, I accept that challenge. And that's where he stuck me. And I kept comparing myself, not necessarily to other women, but to other children's pastors. Well, I'm not like them. I don't write my own curriculum. I buy curriculum. I don't do this. I don't do that. I'm not uh, making uh, funny cartoons or whatever. And then I had to go, wait, hold on. This is where I'm at for a reason, but where has God gifted me? God's gifted me to be able to create create teams. God's gifted me to be able to delegate, to be able to lead them well. God has gifted me with encouragement to be able to make people feel special. How can I use those abilities in children's ministry? And then who can I find to take the place where I lack? So if I'm not good with teaching, I mean, I still taught kids. I still I I still did messages for them, but for the most part, I had a team of people that taught because I'm just not good at teaching kids. So instead of saying, I'm going to compare myself because I'm not as good as the other person. No, I'm going to say, where am I good? How can I use my giftings and how can I pull from them to create a better team? And I think that's where we need to get as women, instead of comparing ourselves, no, what is your gifting? How can you use that gifting in the ministry you're in? And how can you pull from those other people that are gifted where you're not yeah. into the ministry? Yeah, that's so good. And there's that collaborative, you know, working yes. together and mm-hmm. not taking the bait of, of comparison. And I think even just coming to a place, and I, I know I keep going back to identity and getting more secure in, in who God says you are and the things that he's placed on the inside of you and the areas that you might not be as gifted in as your, as your colleague, male or female, whatever mm-hmm. you, whatever you're not as gifted in, it's not a liability. Mm, that's good. It's, it's not a liability. It doesn't mean that you are somehow lacking or you're not measuring right. up or you need to then, you know, kick it into high gear and prove yourself a little bit more, or they're going to remove you from the table. I mean, it just is just this hamster wheel that just goes around and around and there's nothing there for us. That doesn't yeah. happen well. Well, and it's that whole body of Christ thing. Bring it back to scripture. I'm not supposed to be the ears and the eyes and the nose and the liver and the heart and the ribs. Where am I supposed to be? And allow those other people to be the other body parts. I don't have to be all things to all men. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is so good. So good. And so as you're sharing so honestly about different times where, where you've experienced this, obviously you have several years uh, of experience in ministry. And so you've grown in these areas. Walk us through that, that process a little bit, because I think that we've established that these are things that are common to mm-hmm. any woman. And so we don't want to just stay there. We, cause God didn't get yeah. us to be stuck people. Um, and so if we keep bumping up against these obstacles, how can we, how can we move, keep moving forward in the things that God has called us to and not allow those things to take us out, to take us out of ministry, to walk away or to just remain stuck in, in that narrative that I'm, I'm just never going to measure up. The best thing to do is the more you get to know God, the more you get to know yourself. So if we're constantly seeking after God, and I feel we use that term kind of flippantly, well, what does that mean we seek after God? When we're, when we're in prayer, when we're reading our Bible, when we're studying, we're studying the gospels and how Jesus conducted ministry. When we're doing all of those things, we end up learning more about ourselves and how God uniquely created us. And when we do that, we can then begin to recognize when sin is creeping in. We can begin to recognize when comparison is coming in, when jealousy, envy, whatever it is. So the more you get to know God and yourself and recognize those items, that's when you'll be able to catch it. So it's, it's, it's a long-term process. It's not going to be something overnight, hands down. But it is something that as you are walking through, you will be able to recognize and then get those roots out and have that friend that you can confide in. We, we, and I don't get this. I'm a pretty real person. I'll be transparent with you. I'm, this is, I am is what you get. So I've never understood this, but for a lot of women in ministry, we need to be okay with being vulnerable with other people. Hey, I'm struggling with comparing. I'm struggling with jealousy. I'm struggling with this. Because sometimes when you just have that externally processed conversation, that will do a whole lot of good. Yeah. Just to be able to talk it through. Yeah. Or if you trust the person, there have been pr- people that I've been jealous of or compared myself to that I haven't trust, so I haven't been able to have these conversations, but you might just have to go to that person and say, "Hey, listen, I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? But I am struggling with jealousy with you right now. So if I'm coming off as rude or I have a wall up, I don't mean to. It is something that I'm working through. Will you forgive me? And I think that builds respect between you and that other person. Mm -hmm. And you might find out that that person's probably doing the same thing with you. Yeah. Right. Right. We're to that point. We're so, we're so good at looking at how fast that woman is doing things and how well she's doing it and how fast she's doing it. And she just seems so perfected in these different areas that we forget that, wow, I've also come a long way and my character has been developed and, and I'm not who I used to be. And I've grown in my gifts and my faith has gone, gone deeper. And I have drawn closer to the Lord and I know him better. And my relationship has become more intimate and I've become more secure in him. And so I think even just allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to celebrate and rejoice in the areas that you've grown and that you have, that you have, you know, further developed these, these different different areas. Uh, so good. And so, you know, you've kind of touched a little bit about how these things, these different areas have stretched your faith and how, mm-hmm. how you've grown in these situations. And, and you just kind of touched a little bit on how you've maybe possibly handled difficult situations, conversations, or awkward moments. But can you walk us through that a little bit more? For example, just maybe creating a scenario, or maybe you want to share one, um, one that's specific, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe someone has expressed their concern about you being being a, a female speaker, a, mm-hmm. a, you know, whatever it is, and and how you handle that. How do you how do you not take that personally and become mm-hmm. wounded, you know, yeah. uh, and, and just kind of internalize that and yet still mm-hmm. engage in conversation with this person? Yeah. 
one uh, with a lot of humility and grace because like I said before, a lot of people who may not agree with what I'm doing, it's because they're genuinely trying to follow the Bible. It's not anything against me. They see, they they interpret the Bible in a certain way without recognizing all the women that God used in leadership all throughout the Old and New Testament. You know, they're just so fixated on these couple scriptures. So if I had a woman come to me, I don't know, probably a couple years ago, and she just said, hey, I just want to let you know, because it was somebody that I worked with, I just don't agree with female pastors. Like, if I were to put on a women's conference, I would come and invite you to speak, but I just don't believe in women in leadership. I think that's where the man is supposed to be. And I just went, okay. And then you you walk away. It's not anything personal on me. It's the fact that this is how she is interpreting something. So I don't need to take that personally. And I've had, and and here's the beauty of just obeying God and doing what He's asked you to do. You don't have to prove prove anything. And that same woman, I preached a couple. I was probably about a month ago, and she wasn't at the service that I preached at, but she watched online. And she, and it was one of those messages, and I know you've probably done this before too, where you're going, that was terrible. I'm never preaching again. Like that was just, I just did a horrible job and I'm never doing it again. Two days later, and that bothers me when I don't, when I feel like I don't do a good job, that really bothers me. Two days later, that same woman who just two years ago said, I don't agree with what you're doing, sent me a text and said, hey, I know that I've been very vocal about uh, women in ministry. But after watching you today, you're changing my heart. Wow. Wow. Like, I didn't have to prove anything. I, I'm just being obedient. That's all I have to do. If I'm just obedient and I trust God, that's all I have to do. So I say when you're in those awkward situations, you just handle it with humility and grace. We were doing uh, at once a month at my old church, we would do an all church prayer. Senior pastor was gone. Youth pastor was gone. The worship pastor was practicing the worship set. And I was just walking around the building waiting for people to show up. And just like other churches, we had a gentleman come in who was asking for help. And he walked up to me because he was the first person I, he saw. Or I was the first person he saw. And he said, may I speak to the person in charge? And I said, oh, you're looking at her. And he said, no, I'm looking for the pastor. And I said, yeah, you're looking at her. And he went, oh, okay. And, and that's all I have to do. I don't have to be angry because he assumed a man was in charge. A man normally is in charge, but he right. just wasn't there. And that's okay. Right. So right. I just say humility and grace yeah. is the biggest thing. Yeah. And I think to that point, I think that as we allow ourselves to grow in mm-hmm. these in these different areas, we begin to be less likely to personalize it. Mm, If I'm I'm being honest in my early years of ministry, when I would, I would hear those comments or people would message me or, you know, want to have conversation. I would personalize that Mm. because I wasn't grounded. I wasn't secure in the place that God has had, had positioned me or even who I was in him. And, and so there was some growth that needed to, needed to take place simply because I just, I mean, I was receiving those things and I was taking it personal, like they were attacking Mm. me. Mm -hmm. And, and now I am so grateful for, for those years of, of just surrendering and allowing him to do, do a deeper work on the inside of me and, and allowing him to, you know, the Holy spirit, I kind of, I kind of describe it as taking a flashlight and shining it around, you know, let's talk about those things. You know, I think yeah. that you're ready to, um, to work through that. And cause I have something more for you, Susan. And so if I, yes. if I'm going to, if I'm going to bring you into this more that I have for you, we need to deal with this first because these types of things are actually holding you back. And, and, you know, I think for me coming to this place of, of understanding that not everybody is going to understand, not everybody is going to believe the way I do, but it's not my job to change that in that. God is not, God has not tasked me with that. And so there's that proving thing again, or feeling like I somehow need to defend myself. And, And you just so beautifully communicated 
just be obedient, love yeah. people well, care mm -hmm. for them deeply, but live for an audience of one in right. humility and in grace and let God just work everything out. I love that. So good. So how can we be women who unapologetically lead, lead well and still honor and respect our male colleagues? I think we do it as women. I think there's too many women in ministry trying to lead like men. Ooh. That's what the world's doing. The world is trying to make everything gender neutral. Men are supposed to be women. Women are supposed to be men. Us, God has created us unique as women on purpose, and we need to lead like women. And there's almost this idea of, I have to be mean to be a leader. And then the response is, well, I'm not mean. I just have leadership ability. No, that was pretty rude. What you said was really rude. And you don't have to be rude. You don't have to be mean. You can still be straightforward and still be respectful at the same time. I don't have necessarily a, a really good personal story, but I always think back to an interview I saw with Nikki Haley, who is uh, was a former governor of South Carolina, a UN ambassador. And she tells this story about when she worked in the corporate world and she was sitting uh, around a table with a bunch of men in a boardroom and the guy that was supposed to I don't know if he was the CEO of a company or what he was supposed to give a presentation and he was late he shows up and her boss says because she's the only female in the room so stereotypically this is where you go he looked at Nikki and he said can you get Mr. So-and-so a cup of coffee and she thought about it. She sat back. She said, I can be really disrespectful right now and say, I'm a woman. I'm not going to get the coffee or whatever. But she said, absolutely. She punched into her secretary, says, Janet, can you get Mr. So-and-so a cup of coffee? Oh, I and love that. And she says, I was never asked to get a cup of coffee again. Was Is it rude to ask somebody to get a cup of coffee? Absolutely not. But she knew that she was asked because she was the only female in the room and all the stereotypes that come with it. But she still served her bosses, but she did it as a woman and in a respectful way. And I think that is something that we need to embrace. We don't have to be like men to lead. If we're emotional, good night, be emotional. If that's the way God's created you to be emotional and you got to cry, just, just do that. It's okay. Just lead the way he's asked you to lead. Don't try to be like them. Oh, I love that example of Nikki Haley and, and there again, not personalizing it because that could yes. have been sideways really quick. Yes. You know? Yes. Absolutely. Or even, even, you know, sometimes we can hide it really well. And then after the meeting, we're driving in our car and we're, you know, fuming and mad and, and just doing, and it takes us days to kind of, you know, recover. And, and I just mm -hmm. don't feel like God wants that for us. That isn't right. God's heart for us. Mm -hmm. So being someone who has been in ministry for some time, what would you say to younger Rachel as she was stepping into her God-given potential? Two things, and I've already gone over them, but I'll say them again because I think they're so important. I would say, Rachel, there's a place at the table for you. You don't see the spot that's open because it looks so crowded with other men and a sprinkle of women, and you're wondering, will I be able to fit in with that sprinkle of women? God's table is huge and he always has room. He is not running out of things for us to do in this fallen world. That's the first thing I would say to her. And the second thing I would say is don't try to prove yourself. Just be obedient and do what he's asked you to do. I fell into the trap way too quickly as a young minister of, well, I'm a woman and you need to respect me as a female pastor. And that's dumb. Nope. God's got this. Do I trust God enough to open the doors for me? Those are the two things that I would say to her mm. and any and woman going into ministry. I was just going to say um, for the woman listening today that is feeling like, oh my goodness, I feel like I know this woman and she, but she doesn't even know I exist. And yet I feel like she's telling my story. Would you say those same things to really any woman listening? Yes. Today? Yes. Because even seasoned women that I have met, they have harbored so much bitterness and anger towards the church, towards men, because they've been rejected as a woman in ministry. I have been fortunate enough where I haven't had to deal with what they've dealt with. But at the same time, 
it's beautiful because I don't have that resentment. So even a seasoned woman, I would say the exact same thing. Why are you trying to prove yourself? Do you trust God enough to open those doors? Because it's the same with anything, whether it's ministry or if I've been diagnosed with stage four cancer, do I trust God enough that he's going to bring healing to my body? Mm-hmm. If I need a financial breakthrough, do I trust God enough that he's going to bring breakthrough? Why would we leave the doors of opportunity that we're praying for out of that equation? Mm-hmm. If we're going to trust God with our salvation, if we're going to trust him for financial breakthrough, we need to trust him with the doors that he's going to open for us. Wow. It's the same faith, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So I can't let you go until you share a little bit uh, about the book that you have written. You mean this right right here? That is. So tell us a little bit about that and how women can get a a copy of that. So uh, anytime a person writes a book, it's just near and dear to their heart because it is, it's a lot, it's a lot of work. It's, it's, um, it's, consuming everything you are and what you do. But I I wasn't planning on writing a book. It was shortly after the presidential election of 2016. And I noticed just women hitting the streets in droves doing women's marches. And I'm watching the marches and I'm trying to figure out what they're fighting for. They're all talking about equality, but they're all holding five dollar starbucks coffees with their iphones and fancy degrees and i'm going how are you not equal like how are you i i I just was so confused because i'm a person who's been all over the world i've been to places where women or girls can't go to school after they start their menstrual cycles because it is so taboo so they don't get an education i've been to places where i wasn't allowed to preach because it was such a heavily influenced area of Islam that it, even in the Christian circles, it was unacceptable. I've been to places where I have fed nine-year-old prostitute little girls the one meal they didn't have to work for that week. Like to me, that is real oppression. That's real misogyny. And I said, it's not here. And at the same time, my son was developing this love for World War II, which kind of spilled on into me. We would go to the library and we'd get all these books and we'd read. And I came across these women who served in the war. And I fell in love with their stories. Well, that next Mother's Day is 2017. Our pastor's wife would normally preach on Mother's Day, but she was going to be away. So I preached on Mother's Day. And this idea of the Women's March and looking at all these women in World War II and how they didn't pull the gender card. They just knew there was a war on. There was an enemy. And they said, I'm going to stand up and fight wherever it needs to be, whether it's a nurse in the Philippines, whether it is in a factory in the middle of Wales or in uh, Wyoming somewhere, I am going to, I'm going to fight. I am on the front lines of war, just like our male counterparts. And I thought, how true is that of us today as women? We are called to be on the front lines of war and we need to do it as women, not trying to be like men, not trying to prove ourselves that we can do whatever, but we say there's a war on our enemy is Satan. It's not other women. It's not men. It's not the government. Our war is against Satan. So where am I called to fight right now? And yeah. there are different seasons. I may call be called to fight in my home, be in, in on my knees in battle for my kids who are struggling. It may be the person that I'm discipling, or maybe it is to, to battle on the front lines as a CEO of some company, but whatever it is, I'm called to, on the front lines. And after that Mother's Day message, I was just blown away by the response. You always have people that come to you after a message that, that give you encouragement or their opinions or whatever. But this was different. Women were crying. Men were crying. I had men coming to me in tears, crying. And I said, okay, Lord, you struck a chord somewhere. There, there's something to this. So I just kept writing and I kept writing and I kept writing and it turned into, it turned into the book called the real war on women, overcoming cultures lies to freely live out your God given purpose. And every chapter starts out with a woman from world war II and shares her story. I then compare her to a woman in the Bible. And I take those two stories and I say, okay, so how does that apply to our lives today? And I address that this is an all hands on deck war. It's men, it's women, 
as children, who our true enemy, enemy is, where our identity is found, while what feminism looks like, because there's a, this warped idea of feminism. So I really dig deep into the, uh, the history of it, where it all started and where we're at now. And, and then I go into what our weapons are. Our weapons are love. Our weapons are sacrifice. Our weapons are forgiveness. And we are all called to be advocates. The, the big term today is social justice warrior. Okay, well, how do you do that the kingdom way? How do you do that from a biblical worldview? And so that's just what the book is about, us fighting on the front lines. Oh, that is so good, Rachel. And so where can women get a copy of that? So super simple, amazon.com. Just punch in the real war on women. There'll be two books that pop up. Mine will come up first and there's another one at the bottom, but you'll recognize this is actually my daughter on the cover. So you'll recognize the cover because it's a Rosie the Riveter because it's a World War II theme. Okay. Okay. And so Amazon, and then where can women find you and maybe just follow you or connect with you in the online space? Perfect. Yes. So super simple, Rachel Gentleman, which my name isn't simple to spell, but <laughs> but but my my handle on Instagram and TikTok is Rachel Gentleman. I'm the only Rachel Gentleman in the world. Well, actually, there's two of us, me and my sister-in-law, but I spell my name, we spell our names different. So Rachel Gentleman, uh, Instagram and TikTok. And then on Facebook, it's Rachel Gentleman Unique on Purpose, which is my podcast, because I'm very passionate about how has God uniquely created us as individuals and then how do we use that in God's kingdom. Okay. So uh, listeners, you can find all of those links in the show notes. So make sure that you're clicking on the show notes to be able to find Rachel in the online space. And just a, a really quick question, your podcast, I want to point women in that direction, unique on purpose, and they can find it wherever they listen, yep, to wherever you listen to podcasts. So iTunes, Spotify, it's also on my website, rachelgentleman.com. Perfect. Okay. Rachel, this has been just such a joy to have you on the show with us this week. Thank you for adding value to not only my life, but to the listening community for allowing the Lord to use you today. We so appreciate everything that you shared, just the wisdom and, and just the championing us forward in, in our faith and the things that God has called us to do. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for the privilege. This was so fun. Okay. Uh, thank you ladies for joining us have a great rest of your week and we will catch you right back here next time. Thank you so much for joining me this week. It was great connecting with you. Hey, would you do me a quick favor that would mean the world to me? Would you go ahead and leave a few stars and a review or even a comment? It not only means so much to me, but in the online space and the podcasting world, the more stars, reviews, and comments that a podcast receives, the further the reach. It ranks up a little bit higher in Google searches, which then results in reaching more women with this amazing content. So if you are blessed and enjoying, you know, just the content that you are hearing here on the podcast, would you go ahead and leave a few stars, a review and some comments? It means the world to me. Thank you so much. And I'll catch you right back here. Same place, same time next week.